Broadcasting live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Top Docs Radio. Brought to you by Women's Telehealth, whose mission is to bring scarce, high-risk maternal fetal medicine services to patients and referring obstetricians in their own community, urban or rural. Visit womenstelehealth.com for more information. Now, here are your hosts, Tanya Mack and C.W. Hall. What is up, Tanya Mack? I am excited about today. We're going to talk about a hot topic today, and we have a national speaker and expert with us to talk about that. That's very cool. And I was really excited to learn you were chatting with someone who was talking to you about what you do, and they heard about you yes. through our show from That's the right. West from Coast. From California, from the West Coast. So our reach is expanding indeed. So yes, it was a guest uh, speaker invitation out in Silicon Valley, and they heard about us through Top Docs. So. And I know we're going to be talking today with a guest um, not here with us in the studio today. We're Correct. on the phone. So if you are listening live today, we welcome you. A lot of our folks do listen to the podcast, but if we happen to get interrupted by the telecommunications gods and they cut off our call. Just hang with us. We'll get reconnected yes. and continue on. This is some cool information we're getting yes. out there. And our guest is sitting in the hurricane uh, aftermath, now downgraded, I think, to a tropical depression in Florida. But let's let's jump into it. Our topic today is one dear to my heart because I'm a telehealth provider, and it is a, uh, a segment of telehealth called remote patient monitoring. And our guest today uh, has been actually a repeat guest. He's a national telehealth consultant. He's a business development executive with Tripalo. He's a contributing editor for Telehealth Magazine and the founder of the Telehealth Champions Network, an educational networking community. He's based in Florida, and joining us today is Mr. Anil Irfan. Welcome, Anil. Welcome back. Yeah, thank you. Hello, Tanya and CW. Great to be back. Very good. Thank you for making the time today. Sure. Excited to uh, speak on the topic. Sure. Well, let me introduce the topic to our listeners. So, in 2016, there was about 7 million Americans who were enrolled in some form of remote patient monitoring, which actually, CW, was a 44% increase from the year before. So, this is an explosive part of telemedicine and telehealth. So, let me tell you a little bit what remote patient monitoring is. It is using digital technology to collect medical data from one location. We transmit it electronically and securely to healthcare providers in a different location, and they basically assess the patient and then make recommendations. So as we know from just the headlines, the patient's home is going to be a now and growing mm-hmm. part of uh, healthcare cuts and spending and technology um, to deliver uh, healthcare worldwide. So the benefits of RPM, which is what we call remote patient monitoring, include certainly better patient access and quick patient access, decrease cost, and improve healthcare outcomes, and keeps patients out of the hospital. For example, last year, the U.S. had 130 million ER visits, but only 9% of them were admitted. So we're having people Uh show up pretty much because it's the only thing open, and they don't know if they should go. And so when we're able to uh, monitor and assess patients at home, we can easily tell them go or no go. So fewer than 10%. Fewer than 10%. Wow. Yes, I think we're going to see a lot, of, a lot of changes in location as the year goes on. So focusing on keeping patients healthier at home and getting interventional care earlier 
and at the most appropriate level. So in the intro, Anil, we discussed the definition of RPM, but why don't you talk to us about some of the drivers on what's causing this growth? And let me talk to just briefly before you do that about your company. Your company is Tripalo, and they are a national telehealth provider. They were acquired last year by Cox, so they've gotten some big money behind them for expanding. And they basically do the health IT connectivity. We're going to talk about all of the connecting of dots to make this work between the patients and the home, but we'll get into that. But why don't you talk to us, Anil, about some of the main drivers causing this explosive growth? Absolutely. Um, Thank you for that. And, you know, when, when we talk about it, we have a tremendous rise in chronic disease, aging population, as well as kind of a major need for healthcare systems to manage these high-risk populations cost-effectively, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, these healthcare systems have to work with less when you talk about value-based care and bundle payments. Um, and so utilizing technology into these patients' homes is a proven way to do this. And the real impact of empowering the patients, creating positive outcomes in their home environments, uh, and finally kind of moving away from preventive care and moving moving towards preventive care than that sick care that we've always been providing is key. So, you know, there's a paradigm shift, um, kind of a new frontier of bringing care into the home. And though it's not the end-all, be-all of all of how you prevent care to these, these populations, uh, the health systems are starting to put this into the strategy as they manage these populations. You know, we're talking about the, the 20% that make up the 80%, right? And so utilizing technology and leveraging technology at the patient's home for these high-risk patient populations requiring disease is probably the number one drivers. Being innovative and creative in how to prevent these uh, populations from ER emissions, as you mentioned, and conditions worsening, uh, RPM has been proven to do very well mm-hmm. there. So we'll continue to see that. Yeah, I know some on my side, too, since I'm a telehealth provider, I know just the a type of devices and the connectivity because like patients now have smartphones at home and a lot of tracking and apps are smartphone based. And also I know we had our first pregnant home patient. We were talking off air about that before we went on the air and we used, there are now wireless blood pressure cuffs. There are wireless sleep. We'll talk about a little bit about devices, but just the technology um, coming down in price and the availability and all the applications are certainly one of the drivers. And Neil, what do you think about consumers? Now that we have telehealth commercials on TV, do you think that the consumers are asking or do you see in your company that they're asking their providers more about that as an option? Absolutely. I think it's it's a national turn. You know, how many people now, you know, wear a Fitbit or have things to track their health or heart rate. I think as the years go on, we have more of a not only educated consumer, but an empowered consumer who is engaged into their health and their conditions. And so even though we are seeing a lot of our programs are initiated by the health plans or the home, home hospital systems or healthcare systems, I think we're going to continuing, continually to see consumers starting to ask for these type of solutions, um, whether they're off the shelf or given to them by their healthcare providers. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, going back to the health Going back to their health systems, I think telemedicine was kind of 1.0. A lot of that point-to-point telemedicine, as I call it, utilized for telestroke or behavior health. I think on everyone's next agenda is what I mentioned before is how do we manage those high-risk populations and how do we leverage technology to do so 
into the home. So I think a combination of the consumers and the need for the healthcare providers to manage these populations are, are some of the biggest drivers. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point. Well, let's talk a little bit about what kinds of diagnoses or indications uh, is RPM used the most for? Right. And traditionally, you know, a lot of the programs that we support today are those chronic care management programs. When you talk about conditions such as diabetes, chronic heart failure, CHF. I also want to uh, bring to light some other programs that we're starting to support that are more that aging in place, which is basically infusing technology such as sensors into the homes for caregivers to have additional insights into residents' activities of daily living behaviors. For example, installing sensors into the patient's bed or toilet or refrigerator and gaining trends to see if there's any deterioration in the patient day-to-day. Having that insight is very beneficial, and we're seeing a lot more programs focused on that as well, the ADL or personal emergency response, fall detection type of program. So traditionally for those diseases, chronic heart failure, diabetes, and this chronically chronic conditions, but also we're seeing more of that, again, preventive, activities, daily living, and aging in place type of programs as well. Yeah, you brought up a big one in sleep. So now I know there are sleep apnea apps on your smartphone, (laughs) and there are also sleep CPAP (laughs) interfaces. Your bed can even tell you. Your bed can tell you. You just put it by your bed, bed can tell you. But also CPAP uh, is one of the feeds that comes in through um, home monitoring for sure. Another one I read about that we're getting not just the chronic, but actually preventing acute episodes that I was reading about, and I'm curious if your company has seen this yet, Anil, and that is the management of implanted defibrillators sending wireless signals, and we can kind of tell like pre-heart attack or Mm pre-pacemaker adjustment. They can get data in the monitoring center, and then before that heart attack, they can actually help regulate. Do you have any any patients that you follow kind of getting into that preventive episodic space outside of just the chronic space? Well, there, yeah, there is some spectrums. You know, we, we call it the pyramid, you know, the, the chronic pyramid. And then right under that is that pre-chronic, pre-low, almost under, right before wellness. Um, we have some ACL clients that are they're dabbing in that. Um, the, the approach that we have allows them the flexibility to do so since we don't really we manage the technology and we design programs around the technology. Mm-hmm. If it gives our clients flexibility to incorporate those types of technology. Mm, got it. In our in our in our personal programs, we haven't seen them incorporated yet. But as the telehealth business development manager, that's something that as a company we have to look at as well. Right. right. You know, today we have we have many technologies out there, blood pressure cuffs and scales. But you know, you go to ATA floor or you look at other hymns, you know, down the road there may be a patch that does half the thing. Right. So it's really us the, the operational efficiency that we provide that we'll talk about allows our clients to be very flexible. And even as a company allows us to be flexible because we're not tied to one technology. Right. As me and you know, uh, the technology is moving at light speed. So we're talking about implants and patches and band-aids, smart band-aids. I mean, there's a lot of stuff coming out that we need to stay ahead of. Um, and, you know, that's one of the mantra that Tapalo has is we provide the operational efficiency so the technology can be incorporated and experimented with down the road. Right. So just to kind of flesh out, you brought up a number of good points. We've kind of moved in from the diagnosis or indications into what kinds of clinical data we can actually get. You mentioned that in the home, there's 
uh, certainly uh, Bluetooth technologies that incorporate blood pressure, temperature wearable. Now there's wearable temperature uh, patches, scales, oxygen levels, EKG data, blood sugar levels for diabetes and cardiac arrhythmias. So there's a lot of different parameter or metric points that we can get as the devices and the apps are kind of developed. And I agree with you that it's kind of lightning speed. So what do you guys see is the most common mode of transmission? Like how are things getting back to the monitoring center? That's a great question. So the, the approach that we take is we, we try to take the approach of let's find out what our focus is, the patient selection criteria as well, and let's design a monitoring model and technology around that. So if we, we, we designate and we work with the system and say, hey, you know, our CHF patients are the most high risk or costing us the most or um, having the worst outcomes and most ER emissions or whatever metric that you're looking at. Mm-hmm. What we do is we find technologies and create what's called our health kit around that, around that specific focus. So if you look at heart failure, uh, traditionally we'll put together a scale of blood pressure called from pulse ox. That's kind of the common um, health kit. Uh, that goes out. And that, that'll get you to your weight and your blood pressure and oxygen saturation. Um, then when you talk about you know, maybe diabetes-focused programs, uh, we can go into scale, blood pressure cuff, and also glucometer. Um, then you know, there's other programs out there which are COPD-focused, which have blood pressure cuff, blood pressure, but they may want to include a spirometer as well, or a flow meter. Um, that's, 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 that's also testing the lung capacity and oxygen saturation. So for us, it's really focused on what the it's client. really what the client is focusing on, disease or metric wise, and then devising technology around that. I think mm-hmm. many times, Tanya uh, clients will get into that shiny new toy. They buy a bunch of devices, not really sure what the focus is, and then eventually it doesn't get operationalized. So uh, that's kind of the process that we take. Um, and in regards to what the model looks like, connectivity wise. Uh, we assess the patients and, and and understand, you know, every house is different. Every patient's connectivity is different. So there's some connectivity and some some health kits that may be hardwired, some may be cellular, um, some may be wireless. So there's different uh, options there as well. We really try to divide it around the populations that they're trying to, to manage uh, and be disease focused. Okay, so I, lo- I love that idea of a health kit. So it really allows you to go to any large health system or ACO or whatever and let them determine what's our biggest expense item and risk and is there a different way to do it. And then you customize their devices and logistics around what they themselves identify as their primary um, or secondary population that they're trying to add support to, right? Absolutely, 100%. Okay. And, you know, Tripalo today, we have maybe 200,000 patients on monitoring with our different clients, whether they're ACOs, health plans, or hospital systems. We're, we're confidently, we can say that we're the only company that has done it across various manufacturers, various different technologies. And I think that's important. You know, I think you have to future-proof it in some way. Uh, we've also stepped down uh, clients where they had more legacy type of equipment. They wanted to move down to more of a tablet-based solution, which is a trend that I'll say that we're seeing a lot more tablet-based solutions, ability to deliver a lot of education. So yes, that's the flexibility we provide um, in regards to uh, RPM. I think that's important. I think it's, uh, that's, that's something that you have to look at and have to have that flexibility. Again, we can't future-proof the technology. So right. being able to flex, 
play experiment is very important. Right. So I want to kind of dive a little deeper into how this works. We've talked about that the client would create a healthcare kit based on the indications and you kind of prepackage the devices that you need and that kind of thing. But then what happens? Like the physician or the provider orders RPM. Once you have that client or the hospital set up, then the doctors can order the package, right? And then let's move along. Like next, I'm imagining that in some way we need to get the devices into the home and get the patient trained on how to use it. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. So traditionally, a lot of remote patient monitoring programs, Tanya, unfortunately, have not been very successful. The reason for that is is the elements of a successful program, there's a lot of non-clinical tasks involved in a remote patient monitoring program. And that's ideally what Trapalo handles in regards to RPM. So, so once we have the design of a program, which we talked about earlier, we know what patients we're going to put on the program. We walk the clients through workflows and discharge protocols and also onboarding the patient. Then what happens is when, we, when a patient is onboarded and we have a proprietary uh, management console that, that kicks off this process, once the patient is onboarded, it kicks off a process of a device install and a scheduled install with the patient. So we actually have call center team and program managers and program specialists, which is also important, Tanya, because you got to keep the human touch. That is yeah, immensely so important. On most of these it's programs, yeah, on most of these programs in the the installation and the home piece, are they doing that remotely, like with someone coaching them on the phone, or do they have a visit to set up at home with a person? Right, 90% of our, our installs are done over the phone. Mm-hmm. And this in this part this part of the this part of the equation is where houses struggle with. You know, these programs they'll, they'll they'll deploy 20 kids, maybe 50 kids, but then it becomes a logistical nightmare uh, for a lot of these groups and they don't have the infrastructure to send nurses into the home or in, install these installs. So we take that pressure off. So once once the patient is onboarded, we are Call center folks will schedule a, a an install with the patient, walk them through um, the install. Now they're all sensitivity trained, so they're going through the process of, hey, how, how comfortable are you using an ATM machine? Going, walking them through this process. They from that initial call, they will they will um, decide if the patient needs an in person install, which will actually send um, service team in to install, or will walk it walk them through it on the phone. And that then they'll receive a box from our warehouse. Uh, it's all branded from our our, uh, our health system who our client we're working with, and they walk them through the install. And any parameters, let's say there's the tech support is needed or the readings didn't come in, our care teams will, will take care of those initial non-clinical calls, and then anything clinical will be escalated to the clinical team. So we actually become an extension of the care team. And that allows a lot of flexibility. It doesn't bog down the clinical teams handling all the non-clinical tasks and allows our clients to really understand where they are, their assets are, where their inventory is. Because a lot of these programs also are 30, 60, 90-day readmission programs. So these kits are being turned from patient to patient. 
And what's needed in between those turns is sanitization. And these things get infested. Here's here's where we get into the logistics people don't think about. That's right. Right. We think of, I think of remote patient monitoring as a patient gets a device. I'm the nurse sitting in the call center. I look at like, (laughs) Mrs. Jones, your blood pressure is way up today. So let's call, tell me what's going on. We don't think about, okay, so it's coming out of the home. Who has to clean it? Who's going to reorder the supplies? Who's going to get it back on the shelf? What if it goes beep, 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 and we need to make a call? Who's that help desk? (laughs) It's not the nurse. I mean, I can tell you that. So those are some of the things that you're talking about on the back end. Well, Tanya, what I'll say is, unfortunately, this does fall usually on the clinical teams or the Mm -hmm. nurses. And so then that morale comes down because now you have, you know, a $80,000 nurse that's doing you know, ten, unfortunately, $10 an hour per work, right? So we say, hey, let's let the clinical teams work at the top of their licensure, focus on what they should be focusing on, which is getting the readings and making their assessments. Let's take care of all the non-clinical tasks and, and leave them to, to, to a company like ourselves. So um, that's kind of the approach. Um, and we've been able to really scale these programs to large, large um, <clears throat> numbers and, and the truth is, you don't get ROI from monitoring if you don't get folks enrolled and installed and being monitored. And um, that's been the, the unique approach that has been very successful with Apollo and our clients. Okay, so your chain handles on the back end the ordering, the installation, the training, the, sh- the supply shipping, the inventory management, return inventory, all the reporting. I do kind of want to shift a little bit to the clinical side. I know your company doesn't do that, but for our listeners... What happens to the data? So we have the patient hooked up. They set limits, right? So depending on like for what's the lowest your oxygen can go or what's the highest your blood pressure can go or how many episodes of sleep apnea before you have a trigger event that somebody that's clinical in a call center, whether that be a doctor or nurse or mid-level provider or whatever, is monitoring your data and then sets off some action if you fall out of the trigger zone. Is that pretty much how it works? Correct. Um, and again, we we work on we establish the workflows um, in in our program design process. And so, if there's certain triggers, those are escalated to the to the right clinical teams. Usually, there is a clinical dashboard that sits in the middle of this, where the devices are sending data to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have many dashboards out there, um, for, and we work with all the top technology vendors and resell those equipment and uh, the dashboards that come with them. Um, so, usually, we're that's where most of the data is collected. Our program specialists are usually sitting in front of both dashboards: our TMC console and the clinical dashboard. And yes, those are escalated according to the workflows that are in place. If there's certain parameters that maybe more of a higher level clinical team is, is to be notified, then we'll, we execute on those. Um, so it just depends on what the workflow is, what the triggers are, and who is to be notified. But usually there is a clinical dashboard um, that they have purchased or created themselves. A lot of systems build their own. Um, where that data is being collected and where the caregivers and the clinical teams are, are going to assess and receive those notifications. Right. And you know what's even interesting is we're talking with a large payer on our side just for the next step in remote patient monitoring, mm-hmm. where if they do fall out of a trigger, what has traditionally been notify your provider is actually now connecting to a telehealth video visit where they hit a mm-hmm. button and they can have a 
doctor visit right on site if they need one, as opposed to just a phone call to their PCP. So I think we're going to, in the future, see a lot more payers and devices connecting uh, directly to a provider like a teledoc or as we get more telehealth workstations and PCPs, it'll go there. But in the interim, I think we're, we're going to see that remote patient monitoring will be not just monitoring, but some intervention as well on those cases that are, that are more critical. So I think we're, we're going to keep moving the chain there. Um, I'd like to talk to you just a little bit about um, your, since you're experienced in remote patient monitoring, who's doing the most of this? Is it like nursing homes, doctor's offices, hospitals? What kind of settings are you seeing are the are the leaders in remote patient monitoring? Great question. So we are today managing the largest remote monitoring programs in the country today. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can definitely speak on this. Um, our largest, first, actually, first and largest client is Humana. Mm-hmm. And Humana is managing, you know, about a couple thousand patients each quarter. We're shipping out kits with them. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. Um, but they're basically providing connected skills to a lot of their providers to have a certain criteria uh, focused patients, and they're providing these connected skills to their providers to, to excuse me, prescribe or to initiate and give to the patient. So Humana's a large. I see a lot of the health plans. Uh, we're working with a Medicaid managed care plan in southern United States. We're working with some ACO clients as well, home care agencies. See, I to would say, say who's doing it the most. Mm-hmm. To say who's doing it the most, I think right now it's it's really the hospital systems looking at it as a defensive move. That's what um, I would think. Since the we now have readmission penalties, I would think that they would be the largest consumers. Certainly, the payers are paying right. out the most money, but I would think that they mm-hmm. they get what comes right. The hospital actually has the database that can show. Here, we're high for CHF or we're high for these admissions. So I would think that the hospital would be the largest direct patient interface that could could impact this. But certainly, I'm a little surprised to hear that the payer is the leader, but maybe not. What do you think, <laughs> Well, you know, <laughs> um, listen, there's a lot of data that you can collect that they can... Yeah, they certainly have claims well, make, data. Make yeah, I think that they're right. clearly um, starting to pay more attention to this in- level of engagement. I mean, that's right. the thing you be, you hear about around the population health piece is how important engagement is and not just waiting in between episodic visits. Yeah, so it just seems like right. you know, most consumers, most patient consumers will think more of listening maybe to their local healthcare providers and their local hospital face-to-face people as opposed to their payer. You know, because they have the relationship. I'm glad, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that engagement because it's so important. It's so important to understand the capabilities and the impact of being able to change behaviors, especially for it, while they're in the home in their home environment. Mm-hmm. You know, we're seeing programs where we're delivering educational pathways via these tablets and. So many positive outcomes can occur that way because you're finally having something in the home that's reminding this person, hey, you need to check your vitals. You need to check your blood pressure. We never had nothing like that ever existed before, right? And and that uh, extra layer, that extra engagement, and that educational material you can deliver to them about their condition, that's powerful stuff, you know? And, And when we talk about and we're judged on positive outcomes, patient satisfaction, and all these types of metrics, 
you're going to have to incorporate these type of technologies to achieve those metrics. Um, and it's shown across the board um, the, the value in delivering these type of solutions into patients' homes. I mean, it's the, the, the possibilities are endless. I think we're just at the cusp of it. Uh, but seeing it firsthand, uh, actually, I saw it firsthand with my father who got who, who, who got that diagnosed with diabetes, is a VA vet. As we know, VA is the probably the largest telehealth program in the world. Uh, levels were erratic. They put him on monitoring. Let me tell you, eight months later, he's lost a lot of weight. He's, he's got a good grasp of his condition, and he praises the VA. So, you know, that's a win-win. You've got a, you got a positive outcome in the patient. He's not in the hospital. And number two, you've got a, you got a very positive and very... Um, <clears throat> happy patient. Uh, that And that's what we want. We need patient satisfaction, positive outcomes, and we cut costs doing it. So I love that premise of engaging the patient in their home. Um, I think it's it's one of the biggest values of remote monitoring. Now, I know that well, my assumption is that many of the consumers of this type of care, particularly where hospitals are trying to implement this sort of uh, effort, probably has to encompass a large number of rural patients, patients who are in more sparsely populated by physician or similar services in their area kind of places. And it would seem that there would be a measure of, I wonder how, because obviously many of those folks are going to be at least not college educated, not that you have to be, but uh, there would be a measure of mm-hmm. pessimism. I don't know if they would be able to understand how to use this equipment, but you'd mentioned something about an ATM earlier, being able to use an ATM. I assume that's a gauge. If you can in- interface and, and successfully navigate that sort of interface there, then you've got the skills you would need to be able I, to interact with this. I was actually thinking the same line of patient adoption, but in my mind, you bring up that I'm thinking how many of the baby boomers that are not techie really get this technology mm-hmm. at home over the phone. Can you talk about patient sure. adoption? Right. And, and again, that, that goes back to your design of your program. Okay. If you don't, if you don't push, put the right people on, put patients on monitoring with the right technology, it'll never work. So it's really assessing the level and the ease, ease of useness of the technology um, that you're going to deploy. So, you know, you always have those cases where it's just not going to work, right? And that, and you have, for, we can go back to the client and say, this they're not tech savvy enough, let's find another solution. Um, but from the adoption side, you know what? You know, I've had a lot of, and, and from our experience today on an average most of our patients are 77 and above uh, so the elderly chronically ill and you know everyone has the misconception that you know they'll never get the technology there it's not for them but the truth is that these patients are asking for it because they know how some independence that these technologies can bring them so i think there's a misconception there that the seniors don't interact with it or they're just not tech savvy enough i think you know nowadays with these tablet solutions, they're, they're so simple to use mm-hmm. for just that case, um, if we're in that case, because they, they're made to be used with these populations. Uh, and so I think the adoption has been terrific. If you read any uh, reports out there, um, patient satisfaction in regard to RPM is through the roof and telehealth in general. I think where the problem lies is when health systems are deploying technologies, they don't assess their populations uh, as much as they should uh, as they should or do focus groups or go through a true technology selection phase where they're bringing in different technologies a b testing it so so i think it's more on the systems not 
deploying the right technologies, the actual patient's kind of uh, deferring from it or not being able to use it. And some, Does that make sense? Yeah, and how, the how you do it, right? Because I'm thinking my mom has right. a CHF and she got shipped a Holter monitor to wear for like three days and it came in a box and she was totally <laughs> intimidated, but uh, she went through the whole thing. She sent it back and everybody had the data and she didn't have to go out of her home. She didn't have to go to the doctor. So I think you bring up a good point in that they are asking for it and they're more amenable, but it's how is it done Mat the right match of the device and the training to the capability of the person in the situation that needs monitored. So and it's I'll a say, lot of thought I'll that needs to say, go in. Right. And I'll also say that support, that human support, mm -hmm. that, hey, there's someone there that I can call if I have trouble with this. You know, that is important as well. A lot of times the clinical teams are just run dry. They can't take those calls. Mm -hmm. You know, so having that extra layer that a you know, they sent me these kits. I don't have to figure it out on my own. I have help to go through it. Um, that means a lot. And that human touch, like someone really cares, someone is there to help me. Um, you can't just drop it on their front door and say, hey, figure it out. You know, I think you have to really walk. And it's kind of a hand-holding thing that you have to do. But once they get it, they're empowered, they're engaged, they're, they're proactive. But it's really like you said, how you do it and how you deploy it. It's very important. So we talked about patient adoption for the last few minutes, but I'd like to dive a little deeper into some other obstacles to RPM. Let's start with reimbursement. <laughs> well, telehealth in general, reimbursement is the big, uh, big, big elephant in the room, right? When now, first I'll say that a lot of these programs we can show ROI in the things that we talked about earlier. We are seeing tremendous value just in reducing readmission rates and also length of bed stays. So that's a value in itself, and I would say a return. Right? How do you how do you track when that? How do you, about, how do you ag aggregate that data against where you know how how good of a handle? I guess they do have a good cost per patient day and how many days per patient that I they have. I think that the well, hospital, but, if they're one of the big clients or the claims payers that have the data, would know mm -hmm. exactly. So what, do they then yeah. do they didn't then tag right. me I guess as a as a remotely monitored mm -hmm. patient so now we're going to they assess your cost per patient day are. and yeah. your patient uh, mm -hmm. days per patient as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. Exactly. And when we do in our we do a lot of that in our design process work with the data the analysts and really find the sweet spot of the best patients that not only will will give a return in that regard with the readmissions and left the best days but also that we're, we're more 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 open to having a positive outcome as well. So 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 that's one of the big returns. That's the expense, the that's the expense control side. But getting paid for the service right. you're doing is the other side. Right. And so as I as I took this role, we I really went in and took a deep dive into the remote patient monitoring reimbursements around the country. There is existing, though it's sparing, there are reimbursements around the country for remote patient monitoring services. Uh, probably the most proactive is Mississippi, uh, where they are... And they have to be, you think about the health there. Yeah, absolutely. But, 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 you know, Mississippi has been proactive in telehealth and in mm -hmm. all different areas. Yeah. We've mm -hmm. had them as uh, a they guest. have a program. Right. And they have a program now going statewide, mm -hmm. uh, but they're the ones that have mandated commercial payers to reimburse for remote monitoring at a daily monitoring rate. In other States, I've seen Medicaid, uh, Medicaid, excuse me, state Medicaid programs incorporate remote monitoring as a benefit. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of these states, either they put it into an immediate Medicaid benefit uh, or it's a waiver program. 
in which they are reimbursing not only the install and the devices themselves, but also, again, going back to that daily monitoring rate. Usually, these are there's some conditions. There's always some conditions that, um, that are tied to these type of reimbursements. Usually, it's only members with two or more chronic diseases um, or, or two or more um, hospital hospitalizations. Also, uh, or they go specific into chronic heart failure or diabetes. I've seen some states do that. Um, as well as they've also, a lot of times, and this is kind of, I see it more of a barrier than, than anything, they've honed it just to the home care agencies. So only home care agencies can apply and be reimbursed for it in certain states. So that's kind of on the state level. Um, there's still a lot of work to be done in other states. So know your um, state regulations. About, that's that message. Right. On the federal level, I was talking about this before earlier, I'm very encouraged about some of the bills that we were tracking last year, specifically the Connect for Health Act and the Chronic Care Act, which is one, tying telehealth reimbursement, specifically remote patient monitoring, to the value-based track that Medicare wants to introduce. And one part of the Connect for Health Act bill is actually including remote patient monitoring as a benefit for Medicare Plan B beneficiaries with two or more chronic diseases or two or more recent hospital hospitalizations. And so Medicare is looking at covering the cost of the equipment as well as the daily monitoring of, of the patients on a daily, uh, on a monthly basis. So, you know, again, it's fluid when you talk about mm-hmm. telehealth reimbursement in any regard, mm-hmm. uh, but I am very encouraged to see the push for specifically remote patient monitoring. And I see that because there's so much data and so much study behind, uh, evidence behind the value of, of these types of technologies at home. So it's not, it doesn't open up the Pandora's box of fee-for-service and virtual visits. I think this is much more tactical, much more tangible, and I think this we're going to see a lot more RPM reimbursement uh, introduced in the next coming years. Mm-hmm. Let's go to a different obstacle. I know sometimes uh, I see this in areas where my telehealth company goes, and that's infrastructure requirements. And since you're really dealing with a lot of the back end and the connectivity issue, I know a lot of RPM is transmitted by cellular, and we still have some cellular okay. pockets. So do you see that as an obstacle, or you think that's mostly cleaned up? You know, we, we've done a lot great job over a few years, and FCC has been pretty active in this as well. I don't believe connectivity is an issue okay. anymore. All right. So um, there may be pockets here and there. I think the biggest issue for the systems that are trying to deploy RPN is the stuff that I talked about earlier, mm-hmm. the logistics, the recovery of the devices, right. sanitization. I think those are the biggest barriers. Okay. Well, the last big one I want to talk about is, you know, we can just pick up the news, or certainly in the last two months, we've had global ransomware attacks. So security, all this data flying around through the ethers and cellular, people um, are nervous about their protected health information. Can you talk a little bit about um, that area of RPM and security and how your company Mm -hmm. kind of deals with that? Yes, (laughs) that's such a hot button topic now with the ransomware going on. I was in a meeting just a few weeks ago, just kind of a networking meeting, and the lady was talking about, you know, how they got uh, the ransomware attack. So it's definitely top of mind. You know what I think it is? I think the technology, data security efforts and solutions that are out there uh, work well. And 
The problem is a lot of these ransomware attacks, they're initiated by internal employees by clicking an and email. The people or are the weak link for sure. <laughs> it's who answers yeah, the phone so, and lets your password go. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, especially us now being a part of a $20 billion company in regards to Cox Communications and Cox Enterprises, uh, we take a lot of efforts of educating our internal employees about personal information, not clicking, you know, phishing emails, those type of things. I think on the technology side, I mean, you know, it's important. You know, I'm not all, not too much into the tech side, but I think those solutions exist. I think what you have to be prepared for is the human element and making sure that your teams are trained uh, about understanding what, you know, protecting patient information, but also signs of malware or signs of um, suspicious activity in regards to accessing networks. We go through all the, the technology risk assessments when we onboard and we work with clients. Um, most hospital systems have those type of IP assessments in place uh, whenever they bring on a partner. Uh, so we'll go through them. We've successfully went through them many times already. Um, but I think it's, it's a combination of having those securities in place, but also continuing to educate your team and your staff uh, about about attacks and, and what they mean, and, and also continuing education. I mean, there's going to be new things that come out that we you know that we notified about. So I think for healthcare, you know, we anyone in healthcare has to have an understanding, have a plan in place uh, to stay on top of these these attacks uh, because it is definitely uh, a very very important and very and something that's going to continue to happen. So you have to take your proactive measures. We take them on the technology side and the tech side, but we also take them internally. With our, with our people and our, our Of course, our the, the wild card here is the patient. You know, the patient has now control <laughs> of data in their home. So it's not just us healthcare providers that have been held to a standard when you, you have, that, have to have that part of the patient education as well, since they're part of the chain here. Sure. So we're almost out of time, sure. Anil, but the, one of the last questions I want to ask you is certainly um, you mentioned much earlier in the broadcast about the speed at which this field is changing just in terms of apps and devices and logistics. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you see coming on the horizon? You know, what are some trends that you're seeing or um, things that you're encouraged about? I think the technology getting cheaper, that's going to happen. I also see a rise in AI and artificial intelligence in a lot of these spaces. What that means for the whole industry, I don't think anyone really has a grasp on as mm-hmm. of yet. <laughs> it's coming, though. Uh, it's I exciting. agree with you. It, it, yeah, it's coming. It's exciting. But I think anytime, and I'm a big proponent of this, is, is if we shouldn't look at the technology. I think it's important that we focus more on the education of how to deploy these tools and how to implement these tools and what they mean what this type of program means to a specific entity. One thing that is that is misunderstood that all these programs are one size fits all. That is so far from the truth. But the vendors will sell sell it to them like that. <laughs> so it's important to understand that that techno- infusing technology into your healthcare system, it's not one size fits all. It's really understanding what your needs are, what the gaps you're trying to fill. Uh, what po- population is trying to get a handle on, and then going out and finding the technologies that 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 
work well with that design and focus. Um, so I think that's that. I think it's more education on how to leverage these tools. I think there's going to be more infusion in medical curriculums about implementing these tools. I think we talked about that before. We did. Workforce uh, training. Yeah, we did not have the workforce trained for Workforce tele. training, 100% workforce training. Uh, and then we got to look at how to incorporate and how to utilize some of those tools like AI. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to take over. I think, I think we still have to keep that human touch. It's so important, you know, than a bot calling up. You know, it's different from my care, my care team calling them and checking up on them. A bot that's going to call them and say, you know, they're just going to hang up on them. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it'll be interesting to see down the road what the differentiation, how people interact with those type of tools going forward. But it's something we can't ignore. I think it's something that we have to start understanding how to leverage, but also keeping in mind that we can't replace the human touch. We can't replace the human uh, voice and the power of that. Yeah, um, I remember when I worked in ICU as a nurse, uh, that was the number one message is, you know, there might be tubes and monitors and beeping and everything, but you have to look at the patient. And I think this is another good example of that. You know, the patient has to stay at the center of it. I agree. Yeah, especially in their home, right? I know one of the things I'm I'm interested in as we go forward with RPM is um, we're now getting into motion tracking technology. So like, for example, as we see the baby boomers who are more in their home or have less mobility, something that has been very physical um, that required an in-person visit was a physical therapist. Now we can do some of that by telehealth through motion tracking um, technology that we can see what they're doing. So the the kind of applications is really going to broaden from our chronic diseases of diabetes, uh, CHF, and some of those things. I think it's really going to be expanding in the future. I agree. And I mentioned that those are the type of the programs, and I'm, I'm glad you're reminding me about it. Those are the type of programs that we're seeing more and more of. Is those more, And we support them. Motion sensing into those, into those residence homes that are tracking how long they sleep or, or going to the bathroom. So we can catch trends ahead of time right. and can intervene when needed. You know, I think that I think we have to go into that. I think more and more senior living facilities are going to embed these types of technologies uh, and even just regular smart homes. Um, we are right now with our counterpart at Cox Enterprises, we're going around the country and unveiling these smart homes that wellness is a part of it and healthcare is a part of it along with everything else. So it's exciting where we're going, and, yeah. I, and, and it's exciting to, um, to to see and kind of see how it plays out. But um, all these things are on the horizon and actually being incorporated now, so not too far. Yeah, from so it's, it's not <laughs> Star trek It's here. We're doing it. We're doing all these it's things, and it's, it's moving here. very fast. It's not the future. It's, it's, it's definitely today. here. <laughs> yeah. So, Anil, we're at the end of our time today, but I really want to thank you for being a guest and give you one last opportunity to... Um, just share anything that we've missed that you'd like to talk about for remote patient monitoring or for Tripalo. Oh, absolutely. And thank you very much for your time. Um, I do want to uh, make an announcement, actually, that Tripalo has partnered up with the Global Partnership for Telehealth, the Georgia Partnership awesome. for Telehealth. Well, our good friends. To, to, yes, to increase remote uh, patient monitoring programs throughout the southern region. So, you know, the GPT has been kind of my mentors and to be able to partner up with my new family uh we're excited about um working with them their mission is to serve the underserved with telehealth and we're looking to bring another aspect to that to their network so that's a big announcement we're excited to uh 
announce, and I'm glad to get to announce it on your show. Very good. <laughs> me too. I see them tomorrow. Yeah, They're doing a demo with me tomorrow yeah, in Alabama, so I'll be happy to say that That's on the other end. Yeah, it's very good. <laughs> we, will right. be, uh, we will be um, at the Alabama Telehealth Summit in Birmingham. Yeah, I uh, will April too, 15th, so we'll see you there. And, you know, I encourage anyone that is interested in remote patient monitoring, um, whether you're a hospital system health plan or home care agency, uh, feel free to re- reach out to Chapala. I mean, we're a company that uh, has been around for seven years, but now finally getting out to market, sharing our message, our unique experience. Um, so I'll connect with us. We're, we're, we're Chapala on Facebook and, and Twitter as well, and Chapala.com. I'll and you want to spell that website? Yeah, let's spell that for the website. Yeah, I'll spell it out. Everyone has a misconception. It's T R A P O L L O dot com. Very good. And I always try to be a resource, Tanya, as you know, to the industry. If anyone has any questions or or just wants to chat telehealth, I'm I'm always game. So uh, thank you, uh, thank you for this opportunity, and I always like to be a resource to the community. Very so good. Well, it's been connect with me very well interesting, CW. This is going to be a hot, hot topic for a long time. Yes, it, it's uh, very <laughs> cool, and and I I think that the technology is finally catching up, such that it can actually be valuable in real time. Before, we could collect the data, but it couldn't really be acted on in the moment. It was still going to be dealt with in that episodic care. Yeah, point you know? of service keeps backing up, and the home is definitely going to be a place of delivery mm-hmm. um, for healthcare. So, I think you're right. Thanks Great. for joining us on the okay. on the show today, Anil, and thanks to the telecommunications gods who did smile down on these three <laughs> good humans and let us have an uninterrupted conversation today. So that's really great. And everybody out there listening, make sure you stop by womenstelehealth.com. Um, check out their high-risk maternal fetal medicine specialty services that they're able to provide using uh, telehealth technology and are really making a significant impact in the rate of premature deliveries in the communities that they're providing their care for. So that's really cool. Learn more about them. If you've not done so already, make sure you subscribe to the Top Docs Radio Show podcast so you can have that new episode downloaded straight to your device when it's uh, available and you can check it out when it's convenient. Please turn around and hit share. You might put some information out there that makes a difference in somebody's life who means something to you. And we want to say thank you very much for making us a part of your day. And and, And thanks again, Anil. We've enjoyed having you back with us again. Have a good day, everybody. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Appreciate it. 